morning, church. Morning. Ah, so good to have you. So, Pastor Stevie, I call it the curse of Pastor Stevie. He uh, mentioned at first service that he's done with snow. So, Lord, you've heard Pastor Stevie's prayer. Um, it's been a running joke that he controls the weather. I was like, he's a modern-day Moses or Elijah. He's like, it's not going to get warm until I say. And uh, so Pastor Stevie, he said he declared warmness later. And uh, so I blame every snowstorm on him because he's like, I love the snow. And I was like, bro, quit saying that. It's like it's been spring for like three weeks and not. So, hey, a couple things, all right? Actually, more than a couple things. Um, all right, so our building, they are supposed to start the foundation tomorrow. That's the plan. So we can go a little golf clap, plan. And then uh, tentatively next week, we're going to do a groundbreaking service. Our, our plan is to do after first service and second service so everybody can be a part of that. It's going to be like a short ceremony. Um, it's kind of a cool thing to do. And then uh, we are actively, and I forgot to mention this first service. So Pastor Stevie and Kristen are taking the youth group uh, because we're out of a youth pastor. And uh, so we're going to actively start looking for youth pastors or a youth pastor, I should say. And so if you know somebody who is seasoned, somebody who's done it for a while, um, a brand new person, probably this isn't the place to begin because of where we're at going into the building and, and the amount of kids we have. Uh, but if you know of somebody that is a seasoned youth pastor, preferably husband and wife, um, absolutely need to be a man and woman of God. Amen. Okay, not just thinking about Christianity and maybe they'll try it out. Uh, because if they become a youth pastor that way, they will not serve Jesus for the rest of their days. Because it's that hard. But anyhow, if you know of anybody, uh, that's kind of how we're starting the approach. Uh, man, let Pastor Stevie know. Uh, again, any prospects there. Uh, third thing is, is Asher Hendricks. He's off the deployment in the sandbox. So you're home. You, you can give a little wave. There. He's too tired to wave. It was a brutal trip, but been gone for how long? About seven months. And so, yeah, two of our F-15 guys actually are flying in today. Um, Chris went there to take pictures, and they were supposed to be there tomorrow, but you know the Air Force, always on time. This is just military. When they say it's going to happen, it happens. But um, again, so excited to have you back and glad you're safe. Thank you again for serving our country. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due, and our servicemen and women deserve honor. Amen. So thank you for you all. All right. All right, well, let's get into the good stuff. I have six pages of notes today, and so I need you to be good students, good class. And uh, today is a, if you don't mind, it's not going to be a courtroom, okay? It's going to be a classroom. You cool with that? Okay, a courtroom, it's like, you're guilty, you're going to hell. Um, now, if you're not saved, you are, so you need to get saved. You will have a chance to do that. Uh, but today is more of a, an approach that I'm going to take as a classroom, and, and we're going to go back to what we didn't get to cover the last couple of weeks, and that is uh, the events around the crucifixion. And I've realized that, that a lot of people, uh, we have so many new, new Christians in our church that most of you uh, didn't grow up in Sunday school, so there's things that you just don't know. And so there, there's a lot of details that I want to talk about today, things that will, I believe, change your life. Um, the number one thing is, is about forgiveness. And so I will start off with a question that I've asked you before, and that is this. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? What are you holding on to right now that you need to let go of? It may be pain that was caused years ago. It may be an argument that you got into with your spouse on the way here and you're setting up a salvo of missiles that you're gonna say on the way home and you're gonna think about stuff and I would encourage you not to do that, all right? And so we're all at different places, but what I have found is, is, is all throughout the day, we hold on to things that we need to let go of. And so we're going to look at how Jesus approached the cross and how he forgave the very ones that were nailing him there. Again, so courthouse out the window today is, is a classroom approach. 
And so I want to cover some of these things, and I really believe uh, that you're going to leave better. There's going to be some stuff I think we're talking about today that you've never heard, and it's going to all make sense uh, regarding the crucifixion and, and whatnot. So Jesus' followers were in shock because of how, how all of this played out. They were, again, expecting this, this conquering king come in to overthrow the Roman government, and they were excited about it. You know, Palm Sunday, they're waving branches. They're throwing them on the ground. They're like, yeah, and, and then he dies. And they're like, ah. You ever have your team? The Giants got beat. This, I know, you guys are excited about this. So they got beat two days in a row in extra innings. Um, and it kind of, they got walked off against. And it's like, it's just kind of devastating when you, have, when you have a lead like you do, and then all of a sudden you don't. And when you're like, ah, and you're like, no. We've all felt that, right? We all kind of know. Some of you don't follow sports. I will tell you, you are emotionally more stable than the rest of us because you don't control your mind, right? And the sports causes emotions to come out, and it's no fun, but that's what the state of the Jesus' followers were in is they're like, victory! They're like, defeat! He's dead. He wasn't supposed to be dead. This wasn't how it was supposed to turn out. And some of you are facing things in life like that. Some of you in your marriages, you're like, this isn't what I thought. It was. I don't know that there's any marriage that it's exactly the way you think, right? I had a pretty good talk with my pastor before I got married. And uh, he's like, yeah, you think you're going to have intimacy all the time? He's like, that's not the way it's going to be. Um, yeah. And so, and, and you know, and, and he was just giving me fair warning that marriage isn't always what you think it is. It's kind of what you make it. It's what you make it. And it really starts off with a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness, which, which is what our topic is um, in our life group tonight. And it was, that was before I knew, I mean, I knew what I was preaching on a week ago, but I didn't know the lesson yesterday that we're going through the study guide and it's on forgiveness. So I don't think that's a, a coincidental thing that forgiveness is key to a good marriage. But when things don't go the way that you think they should go, here's what I want to tell you first off is don't give up so easy when it doesn't turn out the way you thought. That's why, that's the first thing I want to encourage you. Life is going and you're like, this isn't the way I thought it was, but it's a lot bigger than what you see. And so you need to understand that God is doing things behind the scenes in your life and those lives around you that affect you that you have no idea, but God's got this. God's got this, all right? And you are going to make it. And what I've noticed in life is, is it me? Have a spouse that looks, looks at Pinterest. You know how I carefully worded that? You have a spouse that looks at Pinterest? You know how I didn't say you have a, a wife that looks at Pinterest? I said you had a spouse because we have to be really careful these days. Um, ladies, how many of y'all just look at Pinterest stuff? Okay, husbands, how many of you have wives that look at Pinterest stuff? And they, and they find these things that they want you to build? Okay, now, how many wives in here know how to build stuff? You look at Pinterest and you actually build it. A lot less hands went up than the first one, right? It was, it was uh, we had this incident yesterday and I call it an incident. <laughs> she had this idea of like this greenhouse with all these windows and I was like oh, no I was like there's four projects ahead of this that you want me to do and, um, and, and she asked me what I thought and I told her what I thought and she didn't like what I thought um, no I'm, I'm saying and, and so love keeps no record of wrongs um, and she's at Mountain Home Air Force Base taking pictures right now so I'm, I'm fine um, Although the two guys that are flying F-15s are, they're Wizzos, which means they launch bombs. So if we hear a jet fly over, it means that she heard what I said. So y'all better be saved because this building could go up in flames in a matter of seconds. All right. But there's the Pinterest picture and then there's reality. So there's, <laughs> there's, there's my daughter, Lauren, who's probably watching online from Florida right now. 
um, she, she, she makes cakes. And so I said, pick a picture, like whatever you want to do that would be good. And so she makes cakes and she does a phenomenal job with cake making. Uh, and so, so she got to pick whatever it was. And this, this is like the wife on the left that you want to come home to, husbands. And, and this is the wife that you come home to after she's spent all this time with children. Like 15 kids hanging, mommy, 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 right? I mean, she wants to look like that, but the circumstances we look like this. But isn't that the true of life? I mean, we, we have this idea of what we want it to look like, but that's more often what it does look like. And so what do we do in those circumstances when it doesn't turn out the way we want? Well, Jesus' disciples, they all ditched. They just left. I mean, they, they weren't waiting at the grave like three days. He's like, Jesus said three days. They're, they're all like off eating somewhere. And the women, they came back and they're like, we saw Jesus. And they're like, no, you didn't. It wasn't just doubting Thomas. It was doubting disciples. I mean, they were all like, no, you didn't. And they're like, yeah, we did. No, you didn't. And they, they didn't believe. And we'll talk about that in a little bit of Jesus actually confronts them. But what I want to do today is, uh, is also look at it maybe a fast food restaurant reality. Okay, here's, what, here's what McDonald's promises. Okay? That's what a Big Mac's supposed to look like. And this says actual burger. And it says most attractive angle on the picture, right? We all know that, that that's what they advertise. But what you get is most often different. And so when life, when you think life should promise me this, is this is what life needs to look like, but it actually looks like this. How do I navigate that? How, how do I deal with that when it doesn't turn out the way that I thought? What I want to do today is to help us understand the brutality of what Jesus went through. What we have done a lot of times in Christianity is we've sanitized the crucifixion. And we see Jesus, you know, with a robe and he's not that bloody and he's hanging on a cross. But the Bible is very clear that he was beat beyond recognition. Like, like they didn't read that his face was so beat up. His body was so broken that they didn't even recognize who he was. And that's how bad it was. And so what my heart today is, is that we would have a greater understanding of what he went through so that we have a greater thankfulness. I will tell you this, your, your children have no idea what it costs to raise them. They don't. They, 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 they can't really know. They don't know. And isn't it fun when your kids, they have a view of, well, everything just happens. Laundry, the laundry fairy just washes and folds, and it just happens, it happens that way. Uh, dinners just happen to be made. And it's fun when they go out on their own and they realize, wow, the power, there's a power bill. There's a water bill, a sewer bill? I got to pay the poop. I mean, like, what? Yeah, life costs. And your kids won't know what life costs you until they get out on their own. And then hopefully they have a greater appreciation of everything that you did for them because they're having to do it now. And so a lot of times, again, in, in my, our walk with God is, again, we sanitize the crucifixion. We're like, oh, yeah, he died for my sins. But it, but it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. And so today, by the end of this lesson, uh, you're going to have a greater picture in your mind of what Jesus actually went through for you and I. All right. So here's a question is, how do I forgive people who hurt me? How do I forgive people who hurt me? How do I forgive those who did something to me that, man, it was, they, they did you dirty and they did you dirty. It wasn't just a little thing. It was a big deal. And they did you dirty. How do you, how do you get over that? And again, we're going to look at what Jesus did to those who were actually nailing him to a cross. There's a guy that I, I watch. Many of you know, my son and I, we buy dirt bikes and we rebuild the engines and stuff. And there's a guy that I like to watch. And, um, and I, I really love the guy. He lives in Wisconsin and he's, he's very clean, doesn't ever cuss. And uh, he, he's always fixing bikes and figuring out what's wrong. Well, there's this one subscriber that um, had a problem with his motorcycle. And, and so Joe is his name. He, uh, he said, okay, well, I'll fix it for free and I'll do the video. And he ended up 
having to rebuild the entire engine. He thought it was just this one little problem. And the more he got into it, he, he's, he's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, his videos are funny. Oh, no. He goes, oh, this is bad. This is bad. So he rebuilds this whole bike. I mean, just, it's about a $2,000 rebuild job. And he finally texts the guy and says, hey, I got your bike done. And, the, and the, he shows the text message on his thing. And the guy says, okay, I'll pick it up when I can. But the guy comes and he picks the bike up and just doesn't say thank you, picks it up and leaves. And so, yeah, so Joe, and he's a super nice guy. I think he's a Christian, but he, he, he like kind of wrote like, okay, I spent countless hours rebuilding this bike, and, he, and the guy didn't even say thanks, you know? And he, he was just like, so thank your mechanics. Like, just do it. And again, he wasn't, he wasn't complaining, but he was just putting it out there as is, how can somebody be so ungrateful for all that I did for free, all the hours and everything. And uh, of course you had all the trollers going, oh, you hang him, you know, they're all, they were mad at him. And, and Joe, again, he, he got over it. But, but I thought, if you realize what the cost was, you might be a little more appreciative. And so our heart today, again, is to really know what it is that Jesus did for us. But I'll tell you something about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness holds you captive and it creates a bitterness in you. That's what it does, and that's what we need to deal with today. We're going to first go to the book of Psalms. Okay, Psalms was written way before crucifixion was invented. Again, here's where the classroom setting starts. I'm going to start teaching now. Uh, Romans weren't around yet. Romans weren't crucifying people. Uh, Romans were very good at crucifixion. They invented it. Um, on the road from Rome to a place called Capua, there was 6,000 crosses so if you didn't know this, this was a very common method of, of crucifying and killing people that the Romans invented. Uh, the crosses were not, you know, 25 feet up in the air. The crosses a lot of times were two feet off the ground so that the, the person who was getting crucified, their feet would be about this high. And so as you walked by and they were all along the roads, you would walk by and see people suffering, see people bleeding out, see people moaning and dying. And, and Jesus would have walked by people getting crucified on his way to Jerusalem. There's most likely he encountered people walking. So I thought, man, what was he thinking? Knowing that that's how I'm going to die. And his disciples are all, yeah, they probably deserved it. And, and Jesus is in his mind looking at people suffering. But in the book of Psalms, David writes this, and it's prophetically, and it's, and it's part of actually what Jesus said as he was hung on the cross. And so here's some, some cool stuff. First of all, he says in, in uh, verse one, and that's not on the screen, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out to you, but you do not answer by night, and I'm not silent. So he is saying this, and this is prophesying what he is going through. So Jesus hanging on the cross, what does he cry? My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? He continues to go on. And he talks about the bulls of Bashan. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. And, and you may have no idea, which you probably don't, what that means. Okay, well, what, what does that mean? Well, again, deep, uh, delving into the scripture, the bulls of Bashan was a representation of giants. And they were spiritual giants. And so most scholars believe that as Jesus was being crucified, no doubt the devil himself was present in a spiritual form. There was a lot of demonic activity. And most scholars believe that the bulls of Bashan, Jesus is, is referencing here, are like spiritual giants that nobody else could see, but he can. Or he can at least sense. Or he said, many of them encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm, I'm poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. So Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, his bones were out of joint because of the hanging there. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Most of you have probably gone through some sort of heartbreak before. 
where it felt like you just lost everything, like your heart literally melted. Okay, some of you have gone through that. He says, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. He would have been severely dehydrated from all the bleeding and nothing to drink. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Again, this is written hundreds of years before crucifixion. Jesus, as he would have read this, and he would have, knew that this is talking about me. This is talking about the kind of death that I would die. I don't want to read what kind of death I will die. I would rather not know. Right? I, I don't think I want to know that. It continues on. He says this. This is in verse 17. I wonder, it says, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly and help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers, to the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has, and this is important, he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. So there is a promise here further down that when Jesus will say, we'll get there, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt like God has turned his face from me. And what I told you last week is that, that what he felt wasn't real, okay? And what you feel today isn't always real. It's what you feel, and we honor what you feel, and we have compassion for what you feel. But Jesus felt like God turned his face because he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't that God forsook him. It was that God had to turn his face because of the sin that was upon him. And we'll get to a little more details on that in a bit. But there are some of you today that you have felt like God has abandoned you. So even though Jesus felt like that, the reality was is he did not because of further on in Psalms. So the way that Jesus felt, he explained it. Like, why have you forsaken me? But in his heart, he knew that God did not. So again, this is what's going to happen. And this is how I'm going to respond to it. Jesus pre already in his mind went, I have to forgive. I have to forgive. I have to forgive. And I'm going to forgive. Can you imagine living a sinless life and at the last moment holding unforgiveness in your heart? It would disqualify you as the perfect sacrifice. But what went through his mind as he's walking into Jerusalem, seeing people probably hanging on crosses and thinking, this is how my life is going to end. So Matthew chapter 27, we'll start there. Uh, Jesus beaten, again, he's so badly, he had blood lost, he was unable to carry his own cross. And that's where it starts today. It says, as they were going out, y'all doing good? Yeah. yeah, okay. This would be a little bit wordy. It is. But you love listening to my voice, right? It's going to be a little wordy. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. Simon had been there to celebrate the Passover. And they forced him to carry the cross. And I will tell you, God will never force you to carry the cross. God will never force his son upon you. It's a choice that you have to make. But they forced him to carry the cross. Again, Jesus so dehydrated, so exhausted from the beating and the whipping and the, the abuse that he had experienced, he had no strength to carry the cross himself. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And above his head, they placed a written charge against him that said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, 
so again, what was Jesus thinking as he was up there? And as he was being nailed to the cross on the ground and they would lift him up, he is repeating over and over again, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It, it wasn't just a one-time thing. It, he continually forgave them, forgive them, Lord, forgive them, Lord, forgive them, Lord. How hard is that when someone's crucifying you? How hard is that when people are saying things about you, maybe they're true or untrue, but it's made to destroy you? How hard is it to continue to forgive? And he did not drink what was then an anesthetic because when he figured out what it was, he said no. He didn't want to do anything that would dull his senses to keep him from going through the pain that he was going to go through. So what this means to me is there's many people that they'll turn to the bottle, they'll go through pain, but they'll turn to the bottle, they'll turn to drugs, they'll turn to sexual immorality or any kind of addiction to try to mask the pain of life. But those of you who have been addicted, you understand that it doesn't mask it, it makes it worse. I've never met an addict who said, I'm so glad I'm addicted. Never have. Sure made a good choice, right? And yet we turn to a lot of things that only make it worse. As Satan, again, he always promises you that's going to bring fulfillment and pleasure, but it only brings pain in the end. And Jesus, again, would not take this because he realized what it was. It's an anesthetic not doing that. In verse 35 to 36, prophecy was fulfilled. What were they doing? They were gambling over his clothes. What did Psalm say would happen? They cast lots for my clothing. The hundreds of years ago is coming to pass. And what did Jesus think as he was hanging there watching them gamble over his clothes? I'm pretty sure they were inside. He's thinking scripture is coming to pass. They're gambling for clothes. Pilate hangs a sign up. He wrote it in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, and it said, here is Jesus, king of the Jews. Now, the religious people had a problem with this. The Pharisees, the one who wanted Jesus dead, they're like, Pilate, no, that's, that's not what he was. He, you need to write that he pretended or that he thought he was the king of the Jews. He said he was, the, he, he's not the king of the Jews. He, he said he was the king of the Jews. And, and Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. Like, I'm not changing it. Why? Because Jesus was the king of the Jews, right? What he wrote was actually correct. I think about the Roman guards that are ignoring the pain, and I think they live to bring suffering. They live to bring pain to somebody. You know anybody like that? Don't name them. Don't elbow them. Like they live to bring pain. They live to make people miserable, and, and, and most likely somebody's name just popped into your head. Do you know you're supposed to forgive that person? Doesn't mean they got to be your best friend. They might be your next door neighbor, but that doesn't mean they got to be your best friend. Build a wall, you know, do something because there's going to be people out that their whole goal is to hurt you. Their whole goal is to trash you, but we still have to learn how to forgive them so you can forgive yet still protect. And then you have the thieves. Verse 38, two robbers were crucified with him. Okay, one on his right and another on his left. That's why we have three crosses there. Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and they were saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God because Jesus actually said that. He said, they're looking at the big temple, the real one. I got a picture a little later. And he said, destroy the temple, three days I'll rebuild it. They thought he was talking about the actual temple. He was talking about himself. And they're like, yeah, you, you think you're so tough. You think you're so gay. Come, come down from that cross. And there's two thieves that are initially cursing him. And then something changed in one thief. And I thought about this today because we know, if you've been in church very long, that there was the one thief that, that believed that Jesus was who he said he was. But they all started out, and this is important, they, they both started out as insulting Jesus. Both thieves were throwing insults. Both thieves were mocking him. And I thought, why did 
the one thief changed? What, what happened in his heart? What did he see as he was hanging on a cross, insulting Jesus? Something happened. And I speculate that this thief heard Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because they were pretty close in proximity, enough to talk. And did that one thief go, this guy's forgiven those who nailed him here? And all of a sudden, he starts taking Jesus' side, and he's telling the other thief, dude, shut up. He's like, man, we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this guy's done nothing wrong. And he ends up saying, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, please remember me. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, you, you believe I am who I say I am. All my disciples, they took off running, but you believe. And he said, you will be with me today in paradise. You're talking about a guy who lived a life of crime, a guy who lived a life for himself, who's dying for his sins. And in the last few hours of his life, he gets saved. I want to meet this guy when I get to heaven. He's going to be like probably following Jesus. Right? He's like, I'm the guy, I'm the guy, I'm the guy, I'm the guy. All right, I was dead and I got saved in the last minute. All right? And I love that Jesus just looked at him and said, you will be with me dead in paradise. He didn't say, okay, you prayed it wrong. <laughs> you can't just say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You need to say it right. And probably in Hebrew, okay? And, and the thief says it again and Jesus is like, close. You're dying. You better get it right before you die. And finally, the guy gets it right. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it right, but you're not baptized. So too bad. <laughs> That's not how it happens. So if you're here today and you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're online and you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, all you have to do is say, Jesus, please forgive me. I believe that you're the son of God. Amen. Come into my life. That's how easy it is to get your name written in the book of life. And you will have an opportunity in this message to do that. If you want to do it now, that would be a great idea in case the rapture happens in the next 20 minutes, which I would be okay with. But I will tell you this, if you're not saved, you will be the greatest preacher Cuna has ever seen if we all disappear. <laughs> My keys are in the drawer there, so lock up when you, when, you, when you leave, but there'll be church tonight too, I guarantee you that. All right, so get saved while you can. But I love this, and Jesus, again, he's forgiving them, and I think that's what the thief saw, this did something in him. The man who was hurling insults is now the man going, I believe you are who you say you are. You're the Messiah. What happened? What happened here? Something changed. Here's what I believe happened. I believe that he saw the grace that Jesus offered. I think he saw that. He said something's different about this guy. You see, how you react to hard stuff matters to other people. How you react to, uh, to hard stuff matters to other people. Other people are watching you. Guys, as, as Christians... We need to react differently than non-Christians. We're going to go through the same hard stuff, the same garbage, the same things that happen, but how we react, people are watching, because why would people want this Jesus you say you have if you react the same way as a worldly person? If you go crazy, but if you go into it and you're like, you know what, this is hard, I don't like it, but I, man, God's, he's my rock, he's my strength. Jesus is going to get me through this. You don't have to be overly religious. Don't do that. That pushes people away. Don't be weird. I like that when Kristen says that. Don't be weird. Like, don't be weird. Right? But we can be faith-filled and say, I'm going to get this. I'm going to figure this out, and God's going to help me through it. I really believe that. And they see that this Jesus, you, you say you serve, is actually getting you through stuff, is going to give them encouragement to keep going. And that's why I encourage you. You're going through some stuff hard right now. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Why? Because you getting through it is going to give somebody else the encouragement to get through it. Does anybody know who Roger Bannister is? How many of y'all, I know my dad knows, because he ran, okay, Travis, Roger Bannister, he didn't turn into the Hulk, that was David Bannister, okay, different guy, Roger Bannister was the first man to break a four-minute mile, they said it was impossible, 
until Roger Bannister did it. Guess what? Hundreds of people now run a four-minute mile. Okay, hundreds. I mean, he inspired people like, oh, mentally, it's like, oh, it can happen. And it happened. What did he do? He didn't believe what scientists said. No human can run under a four-minute mile. What did it do? He did it. And once he did it, he encouraged a bunch of other runners to do it. We have like three runners in all the church. The rest of you are sane. Because <laughs> runners are insane, all right? It's great. <laughs> How you react to hard stuff matters to other people. Listen to me. Okay, hear this. Your reaction may be the best testimony you can have. Your reaction to how things happen in life may be the best testimony you can have. You can preach Jesus all you want, but if your life is a complete mess and complete shambles all the time, why again would I want what you have? I want to follow somebody's life who is working, not perfect, but working. Like, okay, it's functioning, it's going forward. So love keeps no record of wrong. So as Jesus is living this out on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, the ones that are actually nailing the nails and beating him and whipping him. And he says it again. The connotation isn't just a one-time deal. He's saying it over and over and over. Maybe each whip, maybe each time they were beating him, he would say, Father, forgive him, forgive him, forgive him. Well, that's so hard to do, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. Okay? Don't sit there like you have it all together because I'll relinquish the pulpit right now and let you <laughs> preach because uh, it's hard to do. The love keeps no record of wrongs. There's a reset button. Okay, Jesus lives this huge lesson on forgiveness. Huge lesson on forgiveness. How do you react when something doesn't go your way? I encountered a, a small uh, car wreck uh, several years ago. It was 10 mile in Lake Hazel. And, uh, and I was the first one on the scene. The car wreck, the two cars hit each other in this intersection. It wasn't a, 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 no injuries, but the woman and her daughter, I think it was just, she was shaken up. And, and the guy gets out of the car. He's screaming at her. Like, he's like, are you not? And I was like, whoa, dude, like, chill out, man. Go back to your car. Like, knock it off. You just got in a wreck. She doesn't need to be yelled at. And, and his, I think his wife was sitting in the car. I was like, man, I'm sorry you have to live with this jerk. Uh, I didn't say that out loud, but I thought it. I like, just be back in your car. I was like, that's the last thing she needs is for you to be screaming at her, regardless of whose fault it was. Like, just going off and he was mad. And so don't be that kind of person. All right, let's go on. Verse 41. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. Okay, they, they were just mocking him, saying he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Now, that's not true, okay? That's not true. There's a bunch of religious crazy people that wanted him dead. He trusts God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him um, also heaped insults on him. Again, that's before the robber got saved, okay? They're just insulting and insulting and insulting, continue and mocking, if you are the son of God. And let me tell you something, guys. He stayed on the cross because he was the son of God. Right? He was the son. That's why he stayed there. Okay? If he wasn't the son of God, he'd have came down. Why would he have went through what he went through if he was not the son of God? He stayed on the cross because he was the son of God. He saved others. He can't save himself. That's the whole point. The whole point is, is he's got to die so that we could live. So what they were saying was actually correct. They just didn't know it. He stayed there because he had to die. And at this point, he's been on the cross for about three hours, hanging there, bleeding out, thirsty, in pain. You see, on a cross, you were not coming down alive. It could be a, a brutal, brutal death. And average was about 24 hours was the expectation that you would live about 24 hours and then you would die. Uh, the longest I researched was about three days that somebody hung on a cross and didn't die. 
agonizing, agonizing, agonizing pain. And yet what happened, they continued to barrage insult at him for a man who lived only to improve the lives of others. Some of you may feel that way, that, that your heart is to just help people. Moms, you understand what this is like. It's like you try to help your kids and you just get this barrage back and it's hurtful. Husbands, you, you feel the same way. Grandpas, maybe you feel the same way. That all you're trying to do is, is help people and you just get this barrage of insults. Doesn't that feel good? Like, I'm just here trying to help you. There's a lady one time, because I, I, I usually try to take people's carts if I see that they're empty. Sometimes I hang back a little bit because I'm like access service guy. And uh, there's a lady, she got done with her cart. And I said, I'll take your cart. She's like, no, thanks, I'll get it. I was like, whoa. Hate to be your husband. Uh, I was, it was weird. Like most of the time, they're like, "Oh, thank you," but she was like, "I can do it myself." I don't know if she was like woman power type of person or whatever. Um, I wasn't saying you couldn't push a cart. Uh, I was just offering to help, but I was like, I felt like, "Oh, sorry." Like, it was kind of weird. And Mel, I forgot to tell you this story. I haven't told the story yet in church. Uh, when it was snowing. One of the 60 times it snowed in, in Idaho, uh, there was a male lady, and I, went, I was going through Emmett. I was on my F-150. I have a winch on my truck, and I, have, and I like pulling people out of the snow. It's just fun because uh, I can help people. And, and so I'm driving through, and there was a male lady in the snow. Like, her, her Jeep was ditched, and she was outside talking on the phone, smoking a ciggy. And, yeah, that was uh, grease lightning. That was when it came out. Um, and, uh, and so I was there and I was, I mean, she had a bumper hitch and everything like a ball. And I was like, I could have her out in 30 seconds. And so I stopped and said, Hey, I, I can pull you out. She's like, no, I got help on the way. And I'm like, but I'm here now. <laughs> She's like, no, I got help on the way. I was like, did you get paid? By? I, was, I was thinking, I mean, you get paid by delivery, right? So if I help you, I can get you out fast. And she's like, no, I got some money. I was like, like she's not even working on the clock. Like it's, it's by delivery. And, and I drove away and it, it got me. It got me. I was like, I just wanted to help you. I got help on the way. I was like, and if you're here today, God bless you. Uh, thank you for delivering the mail. Um, but for crying out loud, get some help from somebody who can pull you out of the snow. I got help on the way. And who knows? I, I, my flesh says, I hope she froze for like 25 minutes. And like, I should have just took that guy up on the thing. Uh, but I draw, but I, it, it, actually it ate at me. Like I, I was like, I have the ability. I got winch. I mean, I can pull you out in 30 seconds and you can be back to delivering your happy mail. And, and I drove away and I was like, man, what's up with that? And, and I felt Chris, like God told me, it was like, I offer that all the time. I offer to get people out all the time. And they say, no. Oh, I got help coming uh, tomorrow, tomorrow. And there was a principle there. And obviously, I'm still not over it, am I? Um, I still got to <laughs> I gotta get over it. I was like, I was just trying to help you. Some people don't want help. Some people don't want help. And what I would tell you is the people that don't want help, quit offering to help them. Yeah. Like there's a point where you just set your boundaries. Say, you know, I've tried. They're not going to accept it. I just got to move on. Lord, send me somebody who does want help. Send somebody who does want help. So there you go. First time I told the story. And again, I obviously I need to pray it through because I got to get, get over that. All right. We all got stuff to work on. huh? All right. Let's go to Matthew 27, 45 through 50. It says from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. Okay. It was 12 noon to 3 p.m. Darkness came over the land. Again, Jesus is hanging there and something happens that should not have happened. There was a full moon the night before. This was not a, an eclipse. People try to write this off, go, well, it was an eclipse. Yeah, for three hours, 
No, no, this, this was a, an act of God. It turned dark for three hours in the middle of the day. This was a God thing, darkness. And so it gets really quiet. It's interesting, there is not one insult recorded after this event. It turns dark and people are like, yeah, I better shut up now. Like even the, the thief is like, oh yeah, I probably went too far. Um, and the other thief is like, I told you so, dude, you shouldn't have said that. But um, who knows what was happening there. But no insults were given uh, or recorded after this event. Three hours, it's dark. It says about the ninth hour, so about 3 p.m., uh, Jesus cries out in this loud voice. And I want, I want you to think about this. It's dark. And it says he cried out in a loud voice. And the word in the Greek is magolos, which means he screamed. Like he screamed. It wasn't just, you know, my God, my God. Why? He, he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time in the Bible that Jesus refers to God as God. Not Abba, usually he called him Abba, which is father. It's Hebrew for father, or Greek for father. And, and that's what he would call him when he talked about God was Abba, my father. Only time in the Bible that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he doesn't say it quiet, he's screaming. So picture this, it's dark. People are kind of sitting around going, what in the world's going on? And then you hear this, ah! And just like, ah. I had an incident when I was younger um, where I heard a mountain lion scream. I was up hunting and my parents who are here today ditched me um, as a 12 year old. They're teaching me a lesson. And they actually had a flat tire in the Jeep, but I was there all by myself and I heard a mountain lion scream above me and it chilled me. Like it's like a, a woman screaming for, I mean, it was, it's scary, scary, scary. And, uh, and so uh, this, this resonated with me to have a scream in the darkness. It was just startled. And that's what Jesus did. And he screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, he is quoting Psalms 22.1. He is quoting something that happened hundreds of years before that David penned under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He writes that out. And then at the end of the Psalms, what it says is, but, but God did not look away from me. He did. I felt like it, but he didn't. So he screams this. And then some who were standing there, they heard this. They said, he's calling Elijah. He's calling Elijah. He's calling Elijah. Now let's look for a moment about why, why God would have turned his face away because the Bible is pretty clear about that, that God turned his face away. And it wasn't that God was rejecting his son. It was, I believe, because Jesus took on the whole sin of the world that, that God couldn't look at that, that God couldn't look at that. And so I had some thoughts um, that God didn't turn his face away in shame. He didn't turn his face away in rejection. I think God turned his face away because of the pain that he saw his son in. And those of you who are parents or grandparents, you can understand this if you have had kids or grandkids go through something really hard. Is it as hard to look? It's hard to go through it. But, but here's was my question. Is it possible? Okay, again, this is just stand thinking here. Is it possible that, that God seeing his son in this condition, he would have been tempted to stop it? Because we would. Like if, if your child breaks their arm and, and you're gonna watch the surgeon reset the bone, and their arm, I mean, they're okay, they're not screaming, but when you see the surgeon begin to grab that arm and begin to pull and, and set a bone, you might be tempted when they start screaming to go, no, 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 stop, stop. Because that's a human reaction, right? That's a parental reaction is to stop what's about to happen. But if we don't allow what is about to happen to happen, it can't heal. And so as a parent, I'm trying to see God because we're made in the image of God, of God seeing his son, he had to turn his head. It's almost like the surgeon cutting open somebody to get the cancer out. It was, we might go, no, 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 don't. But if you do that, it prevents what the plan is. So just a thought, again, I, I could be, and I say it's just a thought 
because I don't want to get to heaven and have, have God go, you know what? You were pretty good up until that point in church where you said that about me because you're totally wrong. So, um, sorry, bro. Like, oh, you wouldn't call me bro, but, um, like, so that's why I say this. I'm just thinking out loud with my church family. Are we clear on that? I'm right, just thinking out loud on this. But would God have been tempted to intervene? Okay. But if you intervene and you had the power to stop it and you did, it would ruin the reason. It would defeat the purpose. And some of you right now in life, you're hurting, but you need to go through the pain so that the process can continue. And if you stop the process, if you jump off the, the surgical table and you run out and the doctor's like, well, I wasn't done. And you're like, well, this hurt too much. You would have ruined the purpose. So stick in there, okay, stick, stick, stick to it, stick in there, stay in there, hang in there, however that's supposed to come out, stick to it. But here's what I know is our human brains can't comprehend the deep things of God. We can't. Your job is to hang in there, your job is to continue on. In verse 49, something happens. It says he's, he's calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then uh, his tongue at this point, it, his mouth becomes so dry that he can't talk. And immediately... Okay, because again, Psalm says that my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Something happened in verse 49. Immediately, one of them ran. Does it say who it was? I'm going to say it's an acts of service person. That's my love language, like acts of service. So let's just call him Stan, all right? <laughs> Stan goes and he's like, Jesus can't talk. He's thirsty. So I'm going to go get a, a stick and a sponge. And he gets a sponge. He jabs it in a stick and he fills it up with wine vinegar, which was mostly wine. The vinegar actually just killed the bugs in it. It was like, it's like an antiseptic sort of thing. And, uh, and so he, he lifts it up. And this time Jesus drinks. Okay? And, and these, these guys are like, knock it off, man. Just leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, okay? He gave up his spirit. Again, a lot of time had passed between when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Probably a couple hours. And I want, you, I want to show you something here. Verse 49, you might feel like a nameless, insignificant person. Back in Psalms, it was prophesied, okay? That his tongue was stuck to the roof of his mouth. Can you say it is finished with your tongue stuck to the top of your mouth. Can't, can't talk, dehydrated. This guy had his moment in history. This guy, we'll call him Special Stan, <laughs> gets a thing, he goes up, he sees Jesus and he gives him a drink which loosened his tongue for him to be able to say, to tell us die, which means it is finished. It is finished, it's done. That guy played his part in life. That guy played his one little piece you ever watch a band where you have the, have the kid with a cymbal? That's his one moment, right? Or the one little beat, okay? It's just a one little thing, but without it, it takes away part of the symphony. In your life, some of you may be thinking, I, I haven't played a very big part, but did you play the one part? Did you play that one moment? Did you do that one thing? that God says, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, this is a God thing. I did this one thing and it set a bunch of other things in motion that maybe you don't even know about. This one man played his part. He sees a need, he feels the need and it allowed Jesus to speak prophetically, it is finished. Isn't that cool? Don't ever think that the gift and the things that you have done for God go unnoticed in the kingdom of heaven. You, you are more special than you think. Some of you are, think you're more special than you are. Um, <laughs> 
Okay, there's got to be a balance, right? There's got to be a balance. He gets him a drink so he could declare the truth. I love this. This guy plays a huge part in this whole story. And Jesus says in verse 50, again, to die, it is finished, which means it is paid in full. And what does that mean? Well, Jesus dies again, and which actually surprised people because it was normally a much slower death. Okay, it's, it's where they speared his side and they broke the legs of thieves. Okay, uh, and, and let me show you what they did and why they did it. Now, the Pharisees, again, they knew that these guys were not going to die. And so they're like, okay, we don't want these guys hanging up. You know why they didn't want them hanging up? Because they wanted to eat the Passover meal. That's what they were thinking with their stomachs. Like, I'm hungry. We can't do it with these guys hanging on the cross. So we, they need to die so we can take them down. And most of the time, People didn't die in the amount of time they were hanging on the cross. So here's what they did. Because they're hanging on the cross when they, they couldn't breathe, they would push up with their legs so they could breathe. Well, the Roman soldiers would get a club, okay, similar to a baseball bat, and they would smash the legs. Boom, they would hit the right here, break the legs of the, boom, break them so they could no longer push up and get a breath. You talk about agonizing, that they were clubbing, just boom, break the legs, break the legs, and then you would suffocate like that. They went, break the legs of the thieves, and they looked at Jesus, and they're like, he's already dead. And it says in, in another gospel, they were surprised that he was dead already. Like, he shouldn't be dead. And so another Roman guard goes, I'm not sure he's dead. Maybe we should try something like this. Spear him. So he jams a spear in his side. It said water and blood flowed out of his body, but Jesus didn't flinch. Why? Because his body was dead. What did those two events prove? That the prophecy in Psalms was correct. It says no bone was broken in his body. It says they will look upon the one that they pierced. So something that was prophesied hundreds of years prior came to pass. Do you not think that God doesn't have your life in order? Do you not think that God doesn't have your life in control? If he, if he can say this is what's going to happen 100 years before, and it happened exactly from the, the casting of lots to the clothing to the pierced body to the bones not being broken where it's like that doesn't make sense he shouldn't be dead but he is but you know what Jesus they didn't kill Jesus you need to know that they didn't kill Jesus it says that he gave up his spirit he gave up his spirit meaning that everything happened on his timetable he was not going to allow the Romans to dictate the will of God for his life it happened the way that Jesus did, and your life is going to happen the way that Jesus wants it to. Your job, again, is to hang in there. Your job is to believe that God has a plan for my life. His plan is good. I don't understand all the plans, but I understand God to a point. He's good. Amen. And it's written down, and I'm going to do the best I can because God has a good plan for my life. But he gave up his spirit. I love that. And then something cool happens in verse 51. Okay, go ahead and put the picture of the temple up here. Again, this is just some, some biblical knowledge that maybe you don't know. It says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split. The earth shook and rocks split. There was this violent earthquake. Now, the Talmud, which is the Jewish, uh, it's a Jewish laws and Jewish history, it records an earthquake at this time. And how it records it is 40 years after the fact when a man named Titus Vespasian came and he sacked Jerusalem. We, we talked about this a couple weeks back where he actually came and, and he destroyed the temple. And Jesus said, okay, back in Matthew, I don't remember, a couple chapters back, when they were walking at his, his disciples were like, man, this is magnificent. And, and Jesus said, you know what? Every single block is going to be tore down from that building. Every single one. 40 years later, Titus Vespasian comes in, attacks Jerusalem. They burn the temple, all the gold from the temple, which there was a lot. 
melted, went into the foundations of the temple, and part of the Romans' uh, pay was, was spoils. And so they tore all the blocks down. Oh, Jesus said that, didn't he? 40 years later. Well, they recorded an earthquake 40 years before Titus Vespasian sacked Jerusalem. Okay? Josephus, the historian of the time, also records a, a big earthquake at the exact same time that the Bible says there was an earthquake. Guys, you can trust the Bible. You can trust it. It, it lines up with history. Okay? This is fascinating stuff. Now, this earthquake does some pretty crazy thing. There was a, an 80-foot-high curtain. And here's where, if you didn't grow up in church, you may not know this. All right? Why was it so important for Jesus to die for our sins? Well, in the Old Testament, the law was, if you sinned and you were a believer, you brought a sacrifice to the temple priest, whether it was a lamb or a dove, whatever it was. Most of the time it was a lamb. And then you brought an innocent lamb, and the priest had to sacrifice this lamb for you to intervene so that God would forgive your sin. I am so glad that it's not like that. I'm so glad that every Friday you don't have to bring me a sacrificial lamb. I'm so glad that I don't have to cut a lamb's throat because of the stupid thing you did. I can't imagine driving home and getting home and having blood all over my clothes and my wife's like, wow. I was like, yeah, rough week. They were sinners, man. It must have been a full moon or something because, man, they sinned bad. And, man, you wouldn't believe what... what I better not name anybody. Uh, you, I almost said Bob, but I got you Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> you don't believe what so-and-so did, right? And, and man, they, were, they, were, they did bad. And, and we didn't have to do that. So in this temple, okay, it, the reason it's so tall was there was a, a veil and, and behind the veil, and the veil was four to five inches thick, as, as wide as a man's hand, it says, 80 feet tall. Now this building's about 33 feet to the, to the well, it's actually it's 27. It's 33 on the outside, about 27 feet. So you can look up and see a gigantic veil and behind that veil was the Holy of Holies. That was the presence of God. Now, the priests had to be super like, religious and, and holy to go back there. And they would go back there, and they would present offerings and incense and stuff to God. And they would like the go-between. The people would go to the priest. The priest would have to go to God and say, okay, God, please forgive this person because he was stupid and did what he did. And he did it again. He did it last week. He, he, he needs to bring like two lambs next time because he's really going bad, God. You need to maybe do something to that guy. Because that's what priests do, right? And, and so he would offer this thing, and then they would come out of the Holy Ghost, but there was a veil because the glory of God was so bright. The Bible says here that when Jesus died, the moment he died, he became the perfect sacrifice for all sins. So the veil was torn in half from top to bottom. And you can understand maybe the bottom to top because it's specific. Bottom to bottom, maybe you could hook horses up to it and have them pull. You could cut it. Maybe they could pull and rip it. But, it, but from top to bottom, that's almost impossible now, the priest would have been in the temple at this point. Can you imagine the priest going about doing their holy things? And it's already dark outside. They're like, man, this is weird. It's like been three hours of darkness. It's strange. And then all of a sudden, there's this gigantic earth shaking. And the temple veil is torn into what those guys, maybe running everywhere. I'd have been running. I'd have been like, oh, I forgot to sin. I confess. I don't remember. What, what. Okay, I'd have been running out of the temple. And so crazy things were happening. And then... These priests, it says in Acts chapter 7, so many, that many priests came to the faith. They saw that this Jesus that died really was the Son of God. They realized, okay, this is significant. And many, many priests, it said, came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I will tell you that this ended the animal sacrificial system that God recognized. God did no longer recognized animal sacrifice. 
They did animal sacrifice because there are some people that cannot let go of religion. They still think I have to earn my way to God. You cannot earn your way to God. Jesus paid the price. You can't be good enough. Isn't that good? Because you're never good enough. Like some people are like, well, I'm good enough. Well, what about your thought life? What if we just put it up here every Sunday? Like everything you thought about, every thought that crossed your mind, or everything that you've done in the past, how, how, much, how many of y'all wouldn't come to church if you knew your history? I wouldn't be here. No. Like, heck no. no. I'll go be a golf pro or something. And I don't even know how to be a golf pro, but I'll go do something different. No, we wouldn't want all of our sins plastered up for everybody to see. So if you think you're good enough, let God have the DVR of your entire life and let's see who's good enough. None of us would come to church. We'd be like, yeah, no thanks. Aren't you glad for the blood of Jesus? That he just erases the DVR? I think the DVR is like a devil, devil recording system, even though that's not a V, but hey. Right? Somebody think of that DVR, devil's version of recording or something. Now you're not listening. You're thinking of what you could do. Okay, listen, pay attention. Into the, sac- the animal sacrificial system. All right, let's wind this up. Now all we have to do is ask for forgiveness. You see, you can't make your own way to God because then you're making the rules. God made the rules. And you don't need a priest anymore. You have direct access to God through prayer. You have direct access. You don't have to go to the priest anymore. Isn't that good? You can go right to Jesus. When you blow it, you can say, Jesus, please forgive me. And he says, forgiven. Forgiven. You're done. I paid for it. I paid for it. But you have to ask for this. And now there's a verse that I've never preached on before except for first service. I've never heard anybody else preach on this. Something weird happens. And I think it's overshadowed because Jesus came back. But verse 52 through 53, Matthew writes something down that no other gospel writer writes. It's the only mention in the Bible of this particular event. And it's big enough that it's weird. It's big enough that we should know about it, but we don't know a whole lot about it. And so let's go on. Here's what it says. It says, and the tombs were broken open. So when Jesus dies, it is finished. It says, and the tombs broke open. A lot of tombs around the area. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Thank you, Matthew, for all the information and details on that. You big jerk. You, you give me just a little bit. I'm not going to say that in heaven. Um, I'll probably get kicked out too. I'm probably disqualifying myself by some things I'm saying today. That's all that's said. That's a big deal. Like Jesus dies, all these holy people come to life. And it says, after he gets resurrected, they go into the city and they talk. Can you imagine the marriages this must have affected? Like you got the widow who remarries, right? And there's a knock and she opens the door. He's like, hey, baby, I'm home. And her new husband's like, hey, baby, who's that? She's like, ah, imagine the marriage conflict that much have taken place. And he gets to the door, he's like, hey, who are you? I thought you were dead. She told you I was dead. I was dead. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> What's the woman do, right? Like, uh, I mean, this has to play out, right? Sometimes, again, we just read the Bible and we're like, oh, that's how it happened. But think about the humanness involved in it. Again, I'm just speculating. Lord, forgive me if I'm completely wrong. Uh, and God's probably, no, that's exactly how it happened because marriage is marriage. And, you know, you showed up. Hey, baby. And what, what took place? It doesn't say how long they lived. It doesn't say what they did. All they did is you have all these holy people. They come back and they, they go in and they just talk to people. And then Matthew moves on. <laughs> I don't stand before you today having an idea of really what happened after that. It just bugs me that the Bible will tell you a little story and then not tell you the rest. You know, I just realized 
that I did not tell you the title to this message. The title is this, but wait, there's more. <laughs> that was like the first thing I was supposed to tell you after the 15 things I told you at first, but wait, there's more. You ever seen those infomercials? Like, you buy this set of knives and they will never dull. I saw I was like, shut up. I, said, I told, actually told that the other day to the TV. I said, shut up. Like, guaranteed to never, they, that, if you read the fine print, it says, if you never use them. Because if you use a knife, it's going to get dull. But I'm just like, they're just lying to us, right? But wait, there's more. Then you get this and you get this and you get this and you get this. It's all for $19.99 and, and you know, for $28 million shipping. And I'm like, dude, you bought that in China. It is not going to stay sharp, right? It's probably not even going to work. I can't believe I forgot to tell you the title of the message. All right. You don't need a priest anymore. But that's crazy, right? Oh, these, these people come out, and <laughs> that's all he says. I, I want to know what happened there. And then you have the centurion. Let's get going. I need to let you go. It says, in the centurion and those with him were, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, and they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. You have a centurion who had at least 25 years with the Roman military, had 100 men under him, and he's standing there. He sees all that has happened, and will likely see this guy in heaven. And he was the one that believed when, when the disciples were running away. And he says, surely this was the son of God. Now, he believed right then. And we will see this guy again, I believe. Uh, Jesus appears to many afterwards. Okay, he comes back and he goes and talks to some people. And he had a lot to say, but there's two things that I want to point out that will help us in everyday life. Two lessons that we need to learn. The first one is found in Mark chapter 16, verse 14. And the disciples, it says, they were up in this upper room. They were hiding, doors locked. They were up there eating. And Jesus just appears, you know, like, like Bilbo Baggins when he takes the ring off. All of a sudden, boom, there he is. Jesus appears. He walks through the wall. It says, later Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. You had the women who went back and, and they, go, they go up right when the sun was coming up, they go to the tomb and they're like, he's not here. And so they run back, they're like, Jesus isn't there. And they're like, shut up, no, whatever. They're like, no, 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 he's not. And two disciples, they run and look and they're like, huh, I wonder what happened. I felt bad for these ladies. It's like, they're like, I got good news. And I'm like, no, you don't. You ever have good news and people don't believe you? There's, there's people that you share the gospel with Jesus changed my life. And they're like, yeah, I don't believe that. Isn't that frustrating? It's frustrating when you have the truth and people don't believe this. So Jesus rebuked these guys for their stubborn refusal to believe the truth. He didn't rebuke the ladies. Ladies, good job. All right. But guys, we can be knuckleheads sometimes. All right. We can be a little stuck. John 20, 23. And we'll close with this one. And Jesus, he shows up again and he gives this, this command and there's more to it than what I'm going to read you. He says, if you forgive anyone, his sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And Jesus adds to it some other gospel. He says, but if you don't forgive anybody, you can't be forgiven yourself. There's more to it. Like Jesus says, the forgiveness is a big deal. Forgiveness is a big deal. Why is this? He said, because when I hung on the cross, I was forgiving the very people who hung me there. The very people, I was modeling what it's like to have people do stuff to you and have to choose to forgive and have to get over it. Why does Jesus tell us to forgive? Do you tell us just because I said so? No. God wants you to forgive. Jesus wants you to forgive because it sets you free. It sets you free. Some of you are waiting for an apology that's never coming. Never coming. Quit waiting for it. Just forgive. Say, God, I just forgive them because I've done so much, Lord. I'm just going to forgive. Why? Because it will set me free. But you need to forgive people to be forgiven. First Corinthians 13 says this, and we'll talk about more than this in my life group tonight, is, is love keeps no record of wrongs. 
Man, that's a hard one. What does that mean? That means that, that you hit a reset button. You give a, get a do-over. And it, it, I love the do-over. Who likes the do-over? Who likes being let off on a ticket? Like if you deserved a ticket and you didn't. Anybody? I was just seeing who was guilty. Uh, you know, raise your hand. Yeah, that's me. Well, when did you get stopped? Um, we, we love that. But the guy that speeds by us, what do we pray for? Like a cop, right? I've only had that happen one time in my life. And, and they, they actually, I was like, man, where's a cop when you need one? And the guy got pulled over and I drive him. I'm like, yeah! <laughs> yeah. Feel pretty good about that. See, God has a plan, and the plan plays out. Yet somewhere in this whole plan, we also have choices that affect the outcome. We do. Make the right choice. So if you're stuck in life, remind yourself, but wait, there's more. There's more. God's got more than what you see. Amen? He's got more than what you see. Man, I have kept you a long time. Do you forgive me? Yes. <laughs> see, for me to, for, to me to teach you to practice forgiveness, I have to give you something to forgive me of. <laughs> So those of you who answered, you may leave. Those of you who did not, you stay, and we're going to go over this lesson one more time. Y'all forgive me for preaching a little long. Okay. Okay, how many of you are honest and you liked that I preached a little long? 50-50, Russell, 50-50. I'm not sure. All right. Next week, I promise it will not, I will not preach as long next week. I promise you that, because Pastor Stevie's preaching. Um, all right. Well, here's what I know. Guys, have you, have you followed Jesus? Have you decided to follow Jesus? I, I could preach this whole message and really mean not a whole lot. If you walk out of this place not knowing Jesus as your Savior, okay, that's the most important thing to me. Those of you who are serving God, hang in there, keep going, keep, keep striving. You're going to make it. But if you walk out of this place having rejected Jesus, guys, hell awaits you. That's the thing. Hell, hell is a real place. That's why Jesus died on our cross is to keep us from there. We have to choose not to go there by accepting what Jesus did. Jesus made it super simple. It's if you would bow your heads with me and just ask you a quick question. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hound you into it or keep pulling on. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say, if you're here today and you died right now and you have not accepted Jesus as your savior, the Bible says that you will pay for your sins in hell for eternity. And that's a long time. Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to do that. He took our sins, but we have to accept that. We have to ask for forgiveness. And if you need to make that decision today, to ask him to forgive you, to come into your life, he is there with arms wide open. He loves you. He wants you to come home, but you have to choose to do that. And if that's you, I want you just to lift your hand up. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you, but I want to pray with you. Is there anybody in this place right now that says, I, I, my life is not right with God. I need to get right with God. Anybody? Okay. All right. I see your hand. All right. Anybody else? Okay, you can put it down. All right. I think I saw a couple hands go. So church, just pray with them. And this is how we do it here. As a family, we just pray the prayer with you if you raised your hand. Or if you're online, you need to pray it. And let's pray it together. Dear Jesus, I believe what we just were taught. <laughs> that you did die for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. In your name. Amen. 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 Your name just got written in the book of life. That's what the Bible says. Amen.